My guest today is Editor-in-Chief Chris Grant. My name is Charlie Hall. You're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. We are here to talk about a nifty little piece of hardware, and this is the Analog Super NT. Your deck on the review of this product says, Analog's case for buying a Super Nintendo Entertainment System, an SNES, all over again. What the heck is this thing, Chris? If you're old like me, uh, you remember the Super Nintendo fondly. Obviously, Nintendo came out with their Super NES Classic Edition this year. Um, Analog is a a hardware company um, that's been doing some really interesting things for the last um, uh, probably like seven or eight years now. They started by making a um, Neo Geo uh, hardwood case for uh, uh, what they call the MBS system, which was like the arcade system. Um, the carts are cheaper. It was great. Nobody could afford that thing and nobody could afford Neo Geo in the first place. Their next system they made was the Analog NT, which was a $500 uh, NES console. Played original NES carts, used NES controllers, but also used original NES CPU and PPU chips inside. Those are not easy to come by, obviously. Yeah, where do you even... <laughs> I think they had some old uh, old NES boards uh, that didn't work, so they could uh, salvage them. And then I guess they had some that they found um, salvaged, but uh, it didn't scale. And the console was very expensive. <laughs> no kidding! So the new solution they came up with for the NT Mini was to use what's called an FPGA a field programmable gate array, which allows them to basically flash a chip uh, to pretend to simulate or emulate another chip or another series of chips. So they essentially were doing similar to what clone consoles have been doing for literal decades. So they were making a clone of the NES using a system on a chip to simulate the entire NES hardware workings. And they were doing it uh, by basically building a system, an engineer named Kevin Horton, to study the NES, uh, and now the Super NES, to basically reverse engineer it so that the carts don't know that it's not an NES, or in this case, a Super NES. The NT Mini came out, um, had a couple patches to kind of improve compatibility, but had incredible compatibility. It was cheaper. It was only $50 cheaper, cheaper, um, and, and delivered a lot of the promise of the original analog. And so with the Super NT... What analog want to do? And, and for the NT, if people are not even sure if they've heard about that, you probably saw headlines like this $500 NES is the Ferrari of game consoles or something like that. Um, a lot of that type of coverage. They got a lot of attention. It had an aluminum body. It was very beautiful. For this new console, they wanted to get the price down to under $200. And so, um, and they also wanted to make a Super Nintendo, an even more complicated console uh, to, to simulate. Um, and so they did it by making the console out of plastic instead of aluminum. Uh, they did it by getting rid of four controller ports, going to two controller ports. They did it by um, getting rid of the analog outputs. So it only has an HDMI output. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Yep, which is, you know, right there in the company's name, analog. They have a plan that they haven't sort of proven works yet, that they might be able to sell an aftermarket add-on uh, coming out of the HDMI port to convert it to crisp analog, RGB analog. Um, for the certain audience that really cares about analog, like you can get good RGB video out of uh, an actual Super Nintendo without any modding. You just need a cable. So I don't think it's as 
urgent as it was with, let's say, the NES, where it's harder to get crisp RGB analog video out of an NES. Um, but I think that there is an audience that really cares and would like to have one thing that plays the Super Nintendo games. Either way, so the Super NT is a $190 Super Nintendo. It effectively uh, acts just like a Super Nintendo, so it plays your original carts. Uh, it plays uh, uses your original controllers. It will even reproduce the bugs in games, um, the glitches in games, like exactly as if it was a Super Nintendo. Uh, it'll use your, if you have a ROM cart, it'll use your ROM carts just fine. Meaning like if I put an SD card in there. Yeah, so the ROM carts themselves are FPGA based like devices or largely and and take SD cards. So oh if you do that, uh then that is an opportunity for you. I put my review like, you know, your appetite for that is really up to your own personal moral compass. Uh talk to a priest before using. <laughs> but the 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 allure of something like this is that for people like me who have emulators, there's some really amazing emulators out there that are also completely accurate. Hagen is the one that comes up a lot um, when we talk about how good the Super NT is. People say, well, emulators can do that too. And that's true. Emulators absolutely can be completely cycle accurate and um, have no bugs. Right? They've been around long enough to test all these things. Emulators are always going to inherit some latency through the operating system, just as sort of an underlying um, almost requirement of running on an operating system. Obviously, emulators get a lot of benefits. Um, from being on top of an operating system. Uh, for example, the Super um, NES Classic Edition that Nintendo makes is an emulator-based system. Um, it gets to rewind gameplay. You get to have save states. Um, all those things don't exist on the Super NT. The Super NT is a Super Nintendo. It doesn't have save states unless it's built into the game cart itself. Um, but the other thing that doesn't exist on the Super NT is that complexity and wonkiness of trying to set up your own emulator, right? Probably the first time that I monkeyed around with an emulator was DOSBox, trying to get my, all my old scum favorites to run, which I purchased and have every right to run an emulation of since I purchased them originally as a child. Anyway, but that involved like putting in some extra characters before I would launch a game to speed up or slow down the clock speed, right? I encountered that again recently when I tried to turn a Raspberry Pi into an NES emulator, right? I had Zelda running, but it was going at 120 miles an hour. I needed to slow it down, and there were some wonky commands that I had to input. What this does with this FPGA, it, it, it takes care of all of that, on the chip and this thing this thing sounds like a convenience more than anything else i would say this <clears throat> that is definitely true i think there are emulator based systems that can match the sort of ease of use the super nes classic is a notable example um, the downside to the super nes classic uh, it only has 21 games on it what if you do want to and there's only 21 of them yeah. right that's... <laughs> hey it's easier to get than the nes classic was and if you work at it you can still find one now um, we'll see how they do it when they re-release the NES Classic uh, this spring, I think. Um, so, so the Super NES Classic is a really nice piece of hardware. It's got original controller, at least something close enough to the original controller that feels great. Uh, it's got 21 really great games. Not every game you want, but enough. It's a great value at $80 with all the games. Like That's a kind of enormous value. The quality of that emulation is really superb. There's some latency, um, but it's not significant i think most people would never notice it um and so for a lot of people i look at that console and i think that like that's what you should get 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if you care a little bit more about some accuracy or some settings um, and you want to go that far, you can get a Pi with Hagen on it and um, RetroPie or something. It is a little more cumbersome. I'm pretty good with computers and I had a really hard time getting my 8-bit do controllers, my Bluetooth controllers to work on a Raspberry Pi like 18 months ago. Apparently they've improved it since then, but like that's a lot of work. You can do it on a computer. So you can run this on a computer and like, again, that's great if you don't mind sitting in front of your computer to play games. So there's a lot of cases where I think like the great news is that there's a lot of options for you to play Super Nintendo games of varying legality. But the good news about this solution is that this solution didn't really exist before. We had clone consoles, which are, you know, again, the, uh, Hyperkin has a new one called the Super Retron HD, which is like pretty good. It's okay. Um, what the Super NT does is it provides a thing that, number one, looks and feels great. It feels as good as any um, sort of like classic console uh, has ever felt. You know, I'm not going to put it on the same level as like an Xbox One X or something. Um, but in terms of something like the Super Nintendo, like it feels better than a Super Nintendo feels. It feels better built. It has a lot of settings on it. It does actually have a ton of that granularity that you're talking about. If you want to get into the weeds on the Super NT, it's there. It has, uh, but it also has a level of simplicity that is hard to come by that it's actually very reminiscent of a Super Nintendo. You plug it into your TV, you plug it into a power outlet, in this case, USB power. Hmm. That's it. It works. You can plug it in and turn on a game. You put a cart in. Uh, it all makes sense. The downsides to it are it's $190, which is not cheap. You have to put the carts in. Um, I recently, uh, my Super NT actually should arrive today. I've got the review units here, but the, the version I pre-ordered. Months back arrives today, and in anticipation of that, I bought myself a copy of Chrono Trigger because uh, my buddy Steve Dietline, hey Steve, um, his brother took it to a friend's house and never brought it back, and I've never gotten over that. <laughs> Steve, you're a great guy. I don't want to rub this in. Um, I, uh, but my memory of that was that I wanted to get this game back, this actual cart. I have it on DS already, but I went and bought uh, a copy on eBay for, for like ninety dollars. This is not a cheap hobby, um, and getting the carts is expensive. Maybe you feel okay buying a Super NES Classic and then downloading all 21 of those games onto uh, an SD card and putting it into a Super NT via um, you know, a, a, a multi-cart. Um, if you feel okay with that, that seems like, you know, to your point, like I have a license to own this game or run this game. Okay, great. Um, those multi uh, card those those EverDrives are about two hundred dollars themselves. Oh Lord! Uh, an SD to SNES is expensive too. So there is hope that the Super NT will be jailbroken. The NT Mini was jailbroken um, almost immediately after release. The engineer who designed the FPGA cores, Kevin Horton, basically is allowed. He's a contractor, and Analog basically says people can do whatever they want with our console. We don't care. So Kevin, who designed the actual guts of the thing, released a jailbroken firmware that allowed, in the case of the NT Mini, it had some good features. It had a music player to pull music off the carts. It had a, a cart dumper. So you could actually put your classic carts in the thing, suck the ROMs off of them, and save them on SD cards. You don't have to keep putting your you know, 30-year-old cartridges in and out of this thing. You could put them in a case somewhere. They belong in the museum. So, th so there were some nice features, but the other thing that this jailbroken firmware did is it allowed you to run games off of an SD card. Not, so not just the ROMs that you dump yourself, but ROMs you, for example, somehow find on the internet. That adds a lot of inherent value to the thing, again, depending on your moral compass. Um, 
It also, and kind of most interestingly for me, added more cores. So the thing sold as an NES, but they added something like 18 8-bit consoles, um, everything from Gen 1 stuff, Atari, uh, 2600, 5200, up to um, Sega Master System, Game Boy, Game Boy Color. Um, seeing all those things running kind of beautifully on an HD display with no input latency is kind of incredible. And getting that to work in terms of not only the the elegance of it, um, but the value of having a lot of those systems preserved in that way, you know, preserved in like a cycle accurate um, kind of hardware-based simulation. Um, I think that's really neat. And I'm interested to see what they do with the Super NT um, if it gets a jailbroken firmware uh, both Kevin Horton and um, Analog are both sort of staying mum on that right now. The complexity of those cores is a lot higher. Um, you know, reports say that it took um, Mr. Horton a year after the release of the NT Mini to basically make the Super NT core. So who knows if he ha- also has Genesis cores, TurboGrafx cores lying around. But this idea that you can maybe load games in the side, um, games that you have carts for already, games that you have... Uh, they've purchased via other means. You've maybe purchased a license to play it on um, Wii U Virtual Console. Nintendo is not going to extend that license to the Switch, let's assume, whenever Virtual Console launches. Maybe you feel okay getting that Super Metroid ROM uh, and putting it on your Super NT. Again, I'll sort of leave the gray area ethics of whether or not it's okay uh, and what does a license to own software even mean, et cetera, et cetera, to um, a different discussion. But that's sort of where some of the value of the console comes in. And so the way I think about the Super NT is like, you look at that price, $190, and that's either ridiculously expensive for a Super Nintendo that you have to put carts into, and it doesn't come with controllers, um, or it's a steal. I think for a lot of people, people like me who have a Super Nintendo uh, that have an RGB out cable coming out of it, going into, in my case, a switcher, that uh, a SCART switcher that also then goes into a FrameMeister XRGB Mini that then goes into an HD television uh, or goes right from the SCART switcher to a a Sony PVM broadcast monitor. If you're spending that kind of money to get a setup just so you can play Super Nintendo games off of cartridges with minimal lag um, and have a good experience, $190 is a steal. And so for a lot of people who have struggled with this idea, they've got that Super Nintendo in the closet, but they know they can't just hook it up to their HDTV without getting... I guess we should talk about that. Like, why can't you just use it on your HDTV? When you hook up that original 240p signal, um, your TV doesn't know what to do with it. And if it does, it's going to um, upscale it to 720p or 1080p. And then upscaling your television is probably not great. It's going to introduce enough latency or lag and look bad enough that you're not going to really enjoy playing those games. Um, so... Uh, if you hear $190 and you think that's too expensive, the answer for you is it probably is too expensive. And you should definitely check out the Super NES Classic, which is kind of an incredible little console. Um, if you look at um, that price and you think, oh my God, how did they make it for only $190? Uh, then it's for you and you should go buy one. Um, you know, In my personal case, it's absolutely for me. I think the thing is kind of incredible. And it satisfies something I've been sort of trying to accomplish via these other means and it satisfies it in a really kind of elegant way. Um, and it, it's not to kind of dismiss the value or, um, or authenticity of an emulator if that's the approach you want to go. But, f- but I think for a lot of people, it's not. So 
uh, yeah, I think they um, they they sold out of their initial run of all four colors, so they're making another run now. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a it's a great piece of hardware. Uh, if that sounds like it's up your alley, you're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Is your New Year's resolution to get a better night's sleep? Are you struggling to get some shut-eye? If you answered yes, I think you're in luck because I've got a good tip for you. Head on over to Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store. They're going to let you stretch your budget further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep in 2018. But they're more than just the mattress experts. They've actually got the whole package. They're going to help you transform your mattress into a bed with things like adjustable bases and sheets, headboards, and bedroom decor. They've got you covered literally and figuratively. Now, go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see the deals that I'm talking about right now. They're even going to give you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure that you're happy with your purchase. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how you're sleeping could be monumentally improved. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Well, it, it's a it's a wonderful review that you put up. It's incredibly detailed and talks about all the aspects, some of which we covered here on the podcast today. We'll link to it, of course, in the show notes. And, and thanks for joining me today, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And thanks to you at home for listening today. We've got a lot more over on Polygon.com, including a feature story that I put up just yesterday about my return to Magic the Gathering after 20 years away, Chris. Some some years after you bought that Dreamcast that you traded your entire collection away for, I uh, picked up Magic for the first time. And I went back to it, and it wasn't that hard to get back into it. Our new video producer, Brian, said that the Super Nintendo came out when he was negative four. So I feel... I feel very. Oh awesome. my god! <laughs> All right, me, me, and my Walker and my Metamucil. We're gonna head back to the newsroom and start working on some things. But thank you for listening to Polygons Quality Control. 